Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This weekend marks the fifth anniversary of the hit musical La La Land, which opened in movie theaters in December of 2016. I spoke with composer Justin Hurwitz, who actually sat behind his piano during the interview and played snippets of his Oscar-winning score. I'm here with the one and only Justin Hurwitz, the Golden Globe winning composer and, if you ask me, soon to be Oscar winning composer of La La Land. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Now, um, Justin was, uh, in case you, our listeners don't know, Justin was kind enough to drive all the way home from his car and talk to us at his home studio where, how much of, how much of La La Land did you actually compose in this studio? Well, most of it was composed here. In terms of what was actually recorded here, not much. Um, mostly just demos. But um, yeah, I basically composed all of it at the at the piano that's right next to me. Oh my god, could you do a little more of that? That was amazing. Wow. So on and so forth. Yeah, City, city of Stars. Man, How, where were you when you came up with those notes? Do you remember? I was actually at my parents' house in Wisconsin. Um, it was during the summer uh, that I cracked that particular thing. I was just home, and um, they have uh, a piano there, and I spend a lot of time at the piano when I'm home. And, um, you know, particularly those those days that I was there because I was – you know, we were right in the middle of Damien was writing La La Land and I was composing and um, just trying to, yeah, just trying to find the right melody for that point in the movie and for that theme and that idea. And uh, yeah, I went through a lot of demos on that and really all the pieces of material on the movie. But when I when I finally found that melody, we just both knew that it was right. Yeah, because when I think of the City of Stars, I immediately think Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Where where, that, where were you? Where is home? Right right now? or well, I mean, where in Wisconsin? What city were you in? Oh, um, this little town, um, the closest town to them is called Wapaka. Um, I fly into Appleton um, when I visit them, and uh, this is during the summer. Yeah, my folks, they actually live in the Bay Area during the year. This is like... Um, it's a it's a cottage they they go to during the summer in Wisconsin. We we used to live full time in Wisconsin. I I um I went to high school and middle school in in Milwaukee. We lived in Milwaukee for those years. Um just went to like a really good public middle school and high school in Milwaukee and um and then my parents moved to the Bay Area as soon as my sister and I went off to college. My parents moved to California. Um but they kept a uh like a 
a little cottage in sort of very, very rural part of the state. So that's where they go during the summer, and that's where I was when I composed the music for City of Stars. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I was going to ask about La La Land first, but since we're sort of going down this track, let's go. Let's let's move. <laughs> let's change course a little bit and go. Um, sure. Um, let's start going. Go a little chronologically then. So you're, you're talking about where you're growing up. How did you wind up? Um, you know, getting into composing in the first place, and then how did you meet Damon Chazelle? Well, I started taking piano lessons when I was about six, um, and it, I was just studying piano like a lot of kids do, just sort of the normal normal piano lessons, normal repertoire. And then I started composing when I was 10. Uh, my parents got me a synthesizer and a floppy disk sequencer. Um, basically this just basic piece of technology where you can record tracks and then layer tracks on top of each other. So um, I started doing that when I was 10. And I was really passionate about it for uh, a couple of years and then lost interest in composing for some reason and didn't really do it in high school. And then by the time I was going to college, I started to realize that I should be going into music just because there was no other school subject that I was particularly good at or that interested me. So it was pretty clear that I should be doing something with music. And I really liked film music. I loved movies and I loved the music in movies. And I thought it, it's a lot of the best music you know, especially instrumental orchestral music being composed today is for movies. So that started to interest me. And so I went to college with kind of the the goal of getting into that field. And then, but I also kind of was interested in pop music a little bit. So I started this band freshman year with a few of my classmates. And Damien was the drummer in that band. <laughs> what was the band and called? It was called Chester French. Oh, Nice. Yeah, so we we took that really seriously for a little while, and then Damien and I quit the band and started focusing exclusively on movies, and um, we became roommates sophomore year and just kind of spent in, an enormous amount of time together in our room watching movies, talking about movies. He was studying f- filmmaking, I was studying music, and we started talking about how we could put what we do together. Um, we, we developed a real appreci- appreciation for what, what the other person does. And we started talking about, well, you know, I love what you're doing and I love and you love what I do. And so, like, how do we how do we make things together? Do you remember some of the movies you guys watched together in the dorm room together? Well, he turned me on to these two musicals from the 60s, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg and The Young Girls of Rochefort. Jacques Demi. Which became, exact, exactly, Jacques Demi and Michel Legrand, the composer and the the director, and um, those became two of my favorite movies, two of my favorite musicals, and huge inspirations for La La Land, as well as the first feature that we made um, called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, which was another musical, um, almost like a prototype in some ways for La La Land. But both of those hugely inspired by those French musicals. I was I was um, gonna I was gonna actually ask you about Guy and Madeline because those two names are characters in Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Guy and Madeline. Very good, very good. You uh, you know the not too many people pick up on that little trivia, but uh, it's, uh, that is true. Um, I actually didn't realize that for 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 years until I was already a, a huge fan of um, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. It was like on my probably 10th viewing that I was like, oh my God, the one character's named Guy and the other one is, you know, Madeline. 
after we had years after we had made Guy and Madeline on a park bench, I, I put it all together. And you're like, oh but, my god, the movie has a park bench. <laughs> 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 no, but yeah. talk, talk about how amazing. Um, just since you mentioned umbrellas, you know how amazing that is because unlike La La Land, where it's musical numbers with dialogue scenes in between, that sucker is music. You know, it's a musical all the way through. It's stopped to, you know, start to finish. It's sung. Yeah, it's, I, I couldn't believe it when I started watching it. It was, I mean, I guess it's somewhat like an opera in some ways, but it's just, the whole thing is sung, the whole thing is scored, it's wall-to-wall music, it has the some of the densest, most detailed, most intricate, most inventive orchestrations I've, I've ever heard. Um, it just became a huge inspiration, and going forward, you know, in terms of looking at the things Damien and I have made, we've never wanted to sound like anything in particular or be exactly like anything in particular. Um, so when I compose, you know, I definitely, I, I try not to listen to Michel Legrand. I try not to listen to other things. I try not to sound like anything in particular, but it's definitely soaked into me and become um, a, an influence for sure. Even the end of Cherbourg is so, so, you can see the inspiration for La La Land, but sort of the wraparound ending of the, you know, the two lovers that encounter each other. One, one's, he starts, he starts his own gas station, but La La Land, he starts his own jazz club. But it's very similar, that sort of bittersweet, you know, encounter there in the snow. It's, uh, it's, it's striking. Exactly. The, the, the bittersweet ending where sort of they, they, they changed each other. They had their experience, but they moved on and, and found lives that, hopefully they're both happy in it's it's um yeah it's very poignant and that was you know obviously structurally and story-wise an influence for Damien and then musically you know that that finale is one of the greatest cues I've ever heard and I remember Damien and I talked about certain elements of it like that choir how heartbreaking that big choir is mixed in with with the orchestration and so that was something I did in the epilogue um and and the very last cue that we call the end in uh in La La Land, you know, just bringing that that rich sort of heartbreaking choir to it. That's so awesome. So, okay, so we've gone a lot into <laughs> Jacques Demi and Parker, <laughs> but how, how do you move from, you know, Guy and Madeline to Whiplash? Because Guy and Madeline was not only was his directorial debut, but also your first uh, composition for a feature film, right? So, how do yeah. you, so then you, you guys had to have been, you know, working out some of the kinks on that first one, but then how do you move to to Whiplash, which I guess, you know, you probably both consider a more mature work? We actually developed La La Land before Whiplash. So, we we Damon was writing La La Land and I was composing the music for La La Land uh, f- before Whiplash was a thing, and we we couldn't get the movie made. Um, nobody wanted to make, uh, you know, a, 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 a jazz musical um, um, by an unknown you know, director, really. You know, who's going to take a shot un- on this big budget? Yeah. Unknown director and unknown composer. And even once Damien started to get some some traction on it, they would say, and who's doing the music? And he'd say, my college roommate. And then that was, you know, even more unattractive a proposition. So um, we, we, we couldn't get it made. So... Damien had been writing lots of things. He had been writing, writing some screenplays just as jobs, and he he was also writing some things for himself. And one of the things he wrote for himself was Whiplash, and that wasn't easy to get made either. He had to make a short version of it just to convince people to finance the feature version. But it was a lot easier to get made than than La La Land. So, so I started. We always knew that once 
if, if Whiplash got off the ground, I would do the music for that. And um, I was just excited to that he got that going um, because it was it was a great small movie for us to you know kind of get our feet wet in Hollywood finally and make something it's it wasn't a studio movie it wasn't a quote-unquote Hollywood movie but we were finally it was the first time that we started to feel like professionals I think and I was I was learning some of the ropes of just film scoring and um, because I didn't go to our college it didn't have a film scoring program so I kind of learned on the job I very steep learning curve on Guy and Madeline um, and a very steep learning curve on Whiplash because it was the first time that I was learning the workflow and working with a, a, like a, a real picture editor and a real music editor and a dubbing stage and all of that. So, um, yeah, Whiplash um, was a huge part of my education, I think. Yeah, J.K. Simmons was in the short. Miles Teller was not in the short. It was a different, a, a really great young actor playing that character, the Andrew character. Um, named Johnny Simmons, no relation to J.K. Simmons. But um, yeah, Damien made the short version first, and I, I didn't work on the short because it didn't have any original music in it. It just had Whiplash, which is uh, a Hank Levy standard. Um, so I was just like a I was just like a cheerleader during that process, um, sort of rooting for it and and hoping that we'd get to make the feature version, and and then we did, and. Uh, you know, it went to Sundance and it and people started liking it and that opened the door to getting to actually get La La Land off the ground finally. Did you go to Sundance for that whole whirlwind? I did and it was a blast. Um it was opening night. I remember Whiplash was the opening night film, which which we were a little nervous about because a lot of this is just kind of dumb superstition. Um but that, you know, people were, there's this whole thing about, there was this whole thing about, well, you know, tra- traditionally the opening night film doesn't, doesn't do as well or whatever. It was like, it doesn't, it's, it's not the film that sells or it's not the film that goes on and gets released or whatever the superstition was at the time. So we were so grateful to be in Sundance, but we were also like, you know, people were saying, I don't know, opening night, that's, that's a, that's a weird slot. And it screened really well. Um, you could like there was a huge ovation for it you just like you you could tell during the screen and certainly as soon as the screening ended that movie ends with such a bang and I think there was a standing ovation and it's it's like finally we could sort of feel really great because you you never know when you're making a movie um especially a movie like that where you don't have test screenings we didn't do you know we it wasn't with a studio so we didn't go through the whole like formal test screening process or anything so we'd really never screened it in front of people and yeah to get that kind of reception at Sundance and then immediately that night I think Damien was out till like 5 a.m. with his agents and just you know with uh, distributors bidding on it and I remember he came back to the to the condo at like 5 a.m. I think with the news that Sony Classics was buying it which was so exciting and then, um, and then it was yeah, just a long road towards the release, and then it 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 got into the Oscar race, and um, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was really really exciting and so unexpected to happen with, you know, it's always unexpected I guess, but to happen off of such a small indie film um, about jazz. 
Yeah, and then J.K. wins the Oscar off of it. Man, so how, yeah. how how long after all of that, you know, Sundance and Oscar success, are you guys? Does someone come to you and say, "All right, now you can do your pet project, you know, your passion project, La La Land"? Well, immediately at Sundance, everybody wanted to know what's Damien Chazelle's next movie, and I think it was like the day after the premiere, he had a he had a general meeting with. Uh, two of the heads at Lionsgate, Eric Feig and Patrick Waksberger, I believe, were the, t- the two people who met him. And it, it was just about, yeah, it was just uh, sort of wanting to be early in terms of knowing what he was going to do next. And lots of other meetings followed like that. And there was all this sort of, you know, buzz going around Sundance of like, what's, you know, who's this new film? Who's this filmmaker who made Whiplash and what's he going to do? And and we had been working with two young producers since the very beginning, since 2011, when we first started developing La La Land, uh, Fred Berger and Jordan Horowitz, who very smartly strategized how to capitalize on the, um, you know, the attention Whiplash was getting at Sundance. So, like I said, we had developed the script, I had written a lot of the music, um, and Fred and Jordan were kind of keeping it close to their vest until we got to Sundance. Nobody knew it was going to do so well at Sundance, but they were hoping, we were all hoping, and as soon as we got that attention, then Fred and Jordan said, hey, next project is right here. It's written, the music's written. Obviously, it went through a lot of development after that, um, but we had a package ready to go, and yeah, Lionsgate was very interested. A couple of other places were interested, but Lionsgate just stepped up in a, in a way that the others weren't, and trusted the vision in a way that the others weren't going to so it was it was I think an easy decision to go to Lionsgate with it and it was you know a great decision it was they were so supportive and let us make our dream project and um, have done a great job releasing it and marketing it and it's been it's been really great that's so great Talk to me about because Damien was actually he came got to DC a couple months ago and we talked to him about how you know, even his visual directing and editing style is very, you know, like um, almost like jazz and, and your music has to follow that. And there's a lot of those like three beat salvo images where it's like a stove burner and then a record player and a coffee cup. You know, it, it's it's very musical, even the way that he cuts it. But um, aside from that, though, talk about working with um, the guys that did the lyrics, Benj and Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, um, they did Dear Evan Hansen here in D.C. Um, at Arena Stage before it went up to New York. And, man, Dear Evan Hansen just was just a gut punch. That that thing will make you cry. So it's no surprise that it worked so well here. But talk about working, you know, pairing your music with, with their work. Yeah, Benj and Justin, um, who are known as Pasek and Paul, um, are just so unbelie- unbelievably talented and were so much fun to work with. And um, yeah, it, it was in 2014, the summer, that the, the project was set up at Lionsgate and we were looking for lyricists and we, we you know met with some and talked to some and a few sort of wrote a lyric on spec just to sort of see if they connected with us and the project. And when Pasek and Paul, I gave them the music for what is now called City of Stars. It wasn't called that then because they hadn't written the word City of Stars yet. But um, I gave them the piano demo for that song and they came to LA um, to meet us and came to my apartment and we sat around the piano and they sang this lyric that they had been working on and it is almost exactly what's in the movie. It's And we just knew, you know, as, as soon as they opened their mouths in City of Stars, are you shining just for me? It was 
it was just so right. It felt so right. And um, so they became the lyricists, and and um, we worked we worked with them for uh, about a year uh, leading up to the shoot. And yeah, they're just so talented and had such a hard job too. Just the way that this was sort of unusual. Well, it's very unusual for them in the sense that they normally write music and lyrics for their own shows. Uh, this was was just lyrics uh, for them, um, and that was a an unusual challenge because they were writing within the constraints of these melodies that I already composed. So you only have so many syllables. You only have so many so much space to be able to, to to say what you want to say, and yet they're saying so much and saying everything they need to say and telling story and 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 creating these incredibly emotional experiences and doing everything you want lyrics to do, and they were doing it kind of um, over these pre-existing melodies, which which is such a such a such an impressive thing. And every they also had to do so many drafts. There were a few songs that went through many drafts of lyrics, and every time they would send back a new draft, it would just sing. It was the same melody, but just a brand new lyric, and it would just sing beautifully, and it would be great. And for whatever reason, you know, Damien wanted something different, or Ryan and Emma had thoughts, so we kept developing it. But just their ability with language to to write words over these melodies was so impressive. Totally. And you said how they can say so much in just so few little poignant words, but um, do, you, do you have a favorite lyric? For me, it's probably a little madness is key to give us new colors to see. <laughs> I love it. Yep, yep. That, the favorite lyric in terms of like a whole song, um, definitely Audition the Fools Who Dream. That, that song, I think, is special on a lot of fronts, and the lyrics um, are one of those fronts. Um, I, I just love how specific that lyric is and and yet how broad and anthemic it becomes i mean it starts so specifically with the ant um a bit of madness is key is is a great line one of the lines i love is uh she lived in her liquor and died with a flicker you'll Um, always remember the flame yeah man you'll always remember the flame yeah it's just so poetic and specific and yet the song then becomes it kind of pivots from being about the ant to being about dreamers in general and about it becomes anthemic and it becomes about any any creative person or any person who has a dream who's chasing this dream who is fighting that urge to give up on that dream and um i love how the song has that specificity and then that broadness to it bring on the rebels and the ripples from pebbles man it's it kind of um, yeah i love that it's about dreamers but it's also sort of that it's it's about like it's risk taking you know and talking about the ant yeah. you know jumping in the river even though it's cold and there's even some scenes walking out into the party before the camera plunges in the water through the snow yeah. and dude i think that damien there's more going in the movie than a lot of people realize you know the singing and dancing but damien's setting up those yeah. thematic things visually too it's just it's a piece of work <laughs> yeah and and that's why i mean i've seen the movie so many times at this point and i'm always seeing new things and i think that's why i've heard a lot of people who've seen it you know multiple times in the theaters or and i think it's a good repeat a good movie for repeat viewing because it's so rich there's so much you know on screen and the design of it and the photography of it and, and um, the music you know, yeah the, <laughs> thank you yeah the music is complex and um yeah i just hope that people are finding new new things and new colors uh, literally and figuratively every time they every time they watch it 
Man, definitely. It's a repeat movie for sure. I'm on number I've seen it six times now. just saw it on IMAX. Oh, wow. <laughs> you almost have the record. I, I met somebody the other night who, who claimed she'd seen it seven. So, you know, maybe you have to keep, maybe you have to keep going. If, uh, you know, just, you just have to beat her. You just have to set the record. One viewing for every Golden Globe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, let's run through a couple of the songs. Another Day of Sun. That song was such a beast to compose, um, both on my end with the music and then the lyrics. I mean, I spent so long trying to find it, and then Pasek and Paul went through more drafts of that song than anything else. Um, so I composed different parts of it at different places. Um, it started with, well... I think the verse and kind of the main riff of it started um, at my piano where I am right now um, in my apartment. And then I remember I was, Dame and I were trying to figure out what would be kind of the chorus material. Um, and usually we work in separate places when I'm composing. I just, I'm sending in piano demo, piano demo after piano demo. And that's how we found the verse of it. Um, but by the time I got to the chorus, I was feeling particularly frustrated. So what we do sometimes is we just sit in the same room and I just sort of like fiddle around on the piano until something feels right. I'm like, how about this? How about this? How about this? And it's just a very efficient way to find, to find it. And I, I was in, I was at his place in Venice, I think when I figured out the chorus and he was, we were working like sort of independently in the same room. He was writing the script or something and I was just fiddling around on the piano and then, and then I came up with, it was, you know, the, 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 you know, that thing. And, um, and he loved it. And, or maybe, maybe it was the, you know, what, what, what I, the, I forget. It may have been, uh, I may have composed the, those pieces in the proper order, but that, that material had happened at his place in Venice and just me sort of fiddling around on the, on a, on a little synthesizer in, in, at his apartment. Um, so, yeah, it, it happened in different places. Wow. Was uh, someone in the crowd also in Venice, or were we for that? No. Uh, that was in my apartment. It was a different apartment. Um, well, no. Different, I mean, this, this project had such a long, it was so many years to get made that um, it, different pieces of it happened at different times and in different places. So, Going back to the very beginning, we almost looked at it more as thematic material than anything else, like stuff we'd want to use in the score and maybe in songs. But it was um, in 2011 I composed the thing that goes... Um um, I'm not sitting at my piano. I'm sitting at a desk chair leaning over, so... There's no sustain pedal on that, excuse me. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I composed that like very early on in my old apartment. And then we had a verse in, uh, for the song that we liked, but we ended up throwing it out in like 2014. Um, and I composed the new verse in my new apartment. Uh, same piano, new apartment. Gotcha. That, I mean, I, I I just I am I am getting goosebumps hearing you play these things on the piano. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, we already talked about City of Stars and audition. Let's do. Oh, a lovely night. What a great little number that is. Um, where were you when you came up with that? Thank you. How'd you come up with that? A lovely night is actually the f like kind of the oldest song in a sense. 
Well, the very first material I composed for the movie is the main theme of the movie. As soon as Damien started writing the script, he wanted to know what is the main theme, the thing that we now call me and Sebastian's theme. So that's the, you know... So that was the first thing I composed for the movie, but after that, I started focusing on other pieces of material, other themes that would become songs, and I composed a bunch of stuff in 2011, and then over the years, as we dropped the project for a while and did Whiplash and then picked the project back up, we rethought a lot of the stuff in the movie. The main theme, we never rethought. That was locked in forever. And A Lovely Night was actually one of the original song demos that got locked in. Um, So that was composed in 2011 in my old apartment, I guess. Uh, That's where that happened. Um, And then pretty much the rest of the songs, except for that little piece of Roommates and other things and, you know, other, like, score material that I composed early on. Pretty much the rest of the songs happened when we picked it back up in 2014 and started trying to basically just beat what we had. Um, we liked we liked what we had, but we thought, well, you know, we have time before the movie's going to shoot, so let's just see if we can just keep trying to make things better and beat what we had. The most magical part in the movie to me is when they, obviously, when they're in the uh, Griffith Observatory and lift off into the stars in the planetarium, in the same Rebel Without a Call spot. Um, what's the key to writing the music for that? Because you see that in the script. That they're going to, you know, break reality and go into this sort of surreal thing. Um, what do you, what do you musically, what are you thinking when you, when you sit down and write that? Yeah, the liftoff moment. I mean, a lot of that's orchestration at that point. So, um, cause you know, the, the real composing of it was done, uh, when I was sort of in the phase of just trying to find the theme of the movie, which we use in, we use there in Planetarium, we use elsewhere. Um, so that was already composed by the time I got to actually like making the Planetarium sequence. Yeah, I'm thinking it's it's that's all orchestration um and so like the liftoff moment that i knew it had to be grand and gigantic so it's there's you know a a little upbeat of uh, timpani roll and then all the the strings come in um and kind of this divisi divided texture meaning you know a lot of them are on the melody but there're also other ones kind of harmonizing in there and um and then you know there's kind of the a bed of woodwinds, but it's not quite a bed because they're all kind of in counterpoint a little bit with each other. And yeah, I was just thinking about making a very wide orchestration um, at that moment to kind of give this full, you know, this real breath to it. Um, and then other parts, you know, the beginning of, of that, of the planetarium where they're kind of waltzing around the pendulum there, it's a more whimsical orchestration. So um, there are a lot of little flute trills and pitched percussion and solo winds, uh, woodwinds that are kind of in dialogue with each other. Um, so yeah, I'm just thinking about, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of that work before I had seen the scene when I was just reading the script and thinking about what is the tone of the scene and what is the shape of the sequence and where is it small, where is it big, where is it whimsical, where is it romantic, and talking to Damien. Obviously, Damien is very, very specific about all those things, um, both in his script and and just in conversations with him. And then um, once I saw it on screen, you know, Tom, the editor, and Damien started cutting and and rejiggering some of it, you know, I, we had a, I had a mock-up for it, but they, they rejiggered it. So I had to recompose and orchestrate, um, certain 
things to picture um, of, with that sequence. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, um, for me, that it was, I was lucky in the sense that um, they almost tailored the scene to the music more than I had to tailor the music to the scene. I was t- I was tailoring the music to the script and to what Damien said the scene would be. But um and th- there was like a really great interplay between score and picture on this movie because you know a lot, a lot of times what you do almost always what you do is as the score composer and the score is a completely different part of the process than the songs. Score usually score happens in post production when they're editing, and but normally what you do is you wait until the picture is locked, or at least you have a very advanced cut, and you come in and then you write the music to the scenes. And oftentimes they've been cutting the picture to temp music, meaning music from other films or classical music or just other stuff. They're cutting the the movie to just as a placeholder. Um, but we didn't we didn't feel like we could do that in this movie, so. Um, I scored the movie for about eight months while Damien and Tom were editing it. And so every day they would give me scenes, I would give them a cue, they would reshape the scene to the cue, and then I would reshape the cue to the scene. And it was the picture and the score were evolving together, which was a really great process. It was a very long process. Um, but it was it, it, it allowed for this sort of interplay between score and picture, I think, um, that this movie in particular needed talk about how i want to talk about the very end how stripping the music down to those like you know chilling like when they're watching you know the footage of what could have been and then and then it's like a very more you know quiet stripped down version of it and then and then in the final shot of just ryan at the piano like with one finger doing the the very end of the keyboard there and those high-pitched notes um Talk about how how that sort of creates that chilling, heartbreaking feeling at the end. Well, what you're picking up on is the fact that all the piano leading up to the, except the very last note, all the piano leading up to there is, is mixed in mono. Um, so it's just coming from the center. Like it's a very sort of narrow mono uh, mix of it. And then on that last note, it opens back up into stereo. Um which is uh, a really cool effect, um, something we uh, thought of. It was, yeah, just in mixing the movie, it was with um, our, our, our score mixer, uh, Nick, and um, um, our sort of uh, music producer, and uh, us just sort of sitting around, yeah, talking about how that could be cool, and it ended up being a really cool effect. Um, and um, And also another thing that I think you may be picking up on is the 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 city of stars material that's on the piano it's it's all mono um that it was that part of it was recorded in like a, a a real recording studio once we get into the actual theme the main theme um you know the that part of it that was actually me, that's me playing in my apartment on like a pretty distant mic it was meant to just be a demo um, I was just sort of really quickly cutting a piano demo um, of that, but Damien got really attached to how it sounded, and he loved the vulnerability in it. And um, it's not as pristine a a recording as what we did in the studio, but it it did emotionally what he was looking for. So we actually just kept it. So it's it's mono, like I said, but then once we get into the theme, it's like particularly kind of lo-fi because. I recorded it as a demo. So um, I think when we go from that sort of lo-fi mono 
recording to the sort of wide stereo recording on that last, very last note, it has that opening up quality to it. And it has this, like, it feels like we're returning to reality, which is what we're doing. That's what that cut is. When we cut to Ryan at the piano, it's from Ryan and Emma, me and Sebastian as husband and wife kissing, to Sebastian sitting at the piano. That is the cut from fantasy to reality, and that's where the it sonically changes back. Wow. Well, we're all balling at that point. Those are like teardrops falling on those keys, man. <laughs> um, before we go, I got to ask you about, you know, just wrapping up. Talk about, you know, we've talked about a lot of the composing, but then working with actors, getting them to bring this to life. Yeah. Um, it was really fun working with Ryan and Emma. Um, lots of, you know, working with them on the songs, just rehearsing the songs with them, figuring out the keys. Um, Emma saying, Audition the Fools Who Dream live. On, on set that was entire, recorded entirely live in front of the camera. So preparing for that and then doing that with her um, on the day was a huge process and, you know, uh, just a, an, an incredible experience um, to see her perform it like that um, with sort of, uh, you know, bringing all that emotion to it. And, um, and then uh, this is the City of Stars duet that they both sing at the piano. That was also live, so that was Ryan and Emma. Um, uh, just like audition, you know, in one room singing live in front of the camera with me in the, in another room playing an electric keyboard, um, into their ears, into earpieces, um, just accompanying them, both of those songs, really just letting them guide the song and take the space they needed and act it. And I was just there to accompany them. So that was a really cool process. Um, and, and then, yeah, just watching Ryan learn the piano was incredible. Um, he, had barely played any piano. He has a band, a really cool band called Dead Man's Bones, and he sings in that. And he played a tiny bit of piano, but nothing really complicated. And he so he took piano lessons for six days a week uh, with a piano teacher named Liz Kinnon, and really like studied it hours a day and learned everything you're seeing on screen. And there were no hand doubles in the movie. There was no CGI cheating. It was all Ryan, everything you see in the movie. And it was shot in long takes. So you can't even like cut up the takes and choose the best pieces. Like you're, you're watching what he really did in front of the camera. So watching all of that come together and helping them and being a part of the rehearsals and then on set, you know, accompanying them while they sang the songs live was just, it was a huge undertaking for them and for all of us. And, uh, yeah, they they're all, they're just they're also just great to work with. They're great people and it was fun and rewarding to see it all come together like that. Awesome. Well, Justin, you've been really uh, generous with your time, so we appreciate it. Um final question. What was it like winning the globe, man? <laughs> it felt uh it felt great. Um Battery. You won two, right? I did. I did win two globes. Uh one for score and one for song shared with the song was shared with the lyricist Pascal Paul. And uh yeah, it's just great. Uh, you know, we worked on this for a very, very long time and we're so passionate about it. And I said in my speech, we put so much of ourselves in it and that's really the truth. Um, so to see people responding this way, uh, to it and, you know, giving us those kind of things, um, you know, it means a lot. Well, don't want to jinx it, but brush up on the speech again, because I'm hoping we have another one coming at the Oscars. <laughs> it, it's an amazing movie, an amazing score, and we, all of us movie lovers, are nostalgic and present. Um, love you guys for it. So thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.